Coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for another episode of Tech Talk with your host, Joey Klein. Welcome, everyone, to the first episode of Tech Talk in 2020. Hope everyone had a wonderful new year. Um, we're going to get right into it and introduce our guests. So first, we've got Troy Deuce, CEO of Drum Technologies. Uh, actually, that's close. So it's uh, Troy Deuce, uh, co-founder. Actually, Rob Froine is the CEO. Oh, excuse <laughs> if me. If he's listening in, I didn't take your job. <laughs> <laughs> My mistake, Rob. Um, and uh, next, we've got uh, Kurt Jacobus, uh, who is uh, several uh, items, uh, CEO of MedShape, but also managing director of the Georgia Research Alliance. Good to be here. And finally, we've got Sean Gordon, founder and CEO of VidReach. Thank you. Okay, guys. So, uh, Troy, if if I'm like other Atlantans, um, I have seen your billboards um, and signs all over town recently while driving around. Oh yeah, we've been uh, we've been plastering those around town, trying to get the name out there. Drum. Uh, thankfully, we picked a nice, easy name to remember: drum. io. Uh, but yeah, we've been, uh, we've been getting the word out. Um, we put out our MVP just a few months ago and got a lot of traction there. A lot of really interested businesses, interested, uh, customers going on and recommending businesses and doing the behavior that we want. So we've got a lot of learnings. So, but, but in addition, if other people listening are like me as well, before you and I met, I didn't really know what drum was. It's this simple, short, catchy name, but it doesn't, well, you have to really know what the product does to understand, you know, where the drum comes into it. So let's give everyone an overview of what the technology actually does. Absolutely. So drum is a social commerce platform that leverages personal connections. So one of the things that we noticed is that the, the mechanics and the act of recommending businesses happens all the time, but it's very clunky. Um, people have recommendations for their, their favorite salons, their favorite restaurants, their favorite small business tools. They recommend all those, all those um, things all the time, but they're lost in the ether and they're not trackable. And there's also no way for businesses currently to drive the behavior that they want and be part of that conversation. So what Drum does is it allows consumers to save, curate, and most importantly, recommend the businesses that they and products and services that they care about. Okay. And so, and of course, I got this about halfway through my first conversation with Troy. It, Troy, it's about drumming up business. Absolutely. That's yeah. where the, that's where the hook comes in. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Uh, just, 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 uh, you know, hear the, the drum comedy, uh, you know, hit <laughs> in your, in your head. Oh, yeah. We're trying not to overplay that theme too much with, you know, calling every little feature in the app a drum roll or drumstick or drum whatever. But, uh, yeah, we, we love the name. It's so tempting though. It is tempting, but you can't overplay it. <laughs> So let's, you, you mentioned Rob, and so, um, I think the cabbage connection is an interesting one, although mm -hmm. we, we want to focus on drum most of the time here. But, you know, you were an early employee at cabbage. Um, you know, Rob, uh, you know, obviously Rob's a founder of cabbage. Mm -hmm. Um, now you've, uh, pivoted to drum, and I'd like to understand how, the idea for drum came out of your time at cabbage. Yeah. So, um, I was fortunate enough to be one of the early folks at cabbage, got to help stand up the, the product and the experience and love working with Rob and Catherine, the, the co-founders of cabbage. But the idea came from, you know, Rob is really good at seeing kind of a, um, a need in the market and then a really interesting way to address the issue. So his need was hey, cabbage is like every other company is trying to find customers. Um, our biggest advocates are the one who are driving the best, most loyal customers. However, there's no way to be part of that conversation and drive that behavior. So his idea was, well, what if we could turn everybody into advocates and salespeople for Cabbage and any other business out there um, by providing rewards and incentives for both people who are consuming um, those recommendations as well as the people passing the recommendations? Okay, so Rob comes up with this idea. You're working at Cabbage at the time, and how does this morph into – we're going to stand this alone as a company completely separate from Cabbage with its own identity. And Troy's going to go, you know, pivot from, <laughs> uh, from Cabbage to drum entirely. Well, it was, it was fun because, you know, I've always loved brainstorming with Rob and Catherine. So we'd sit down and have sessions about this and, you know, what if we did this? What if we did that? So we started really kicking around the idea. And then we said, you know what? Let's see if this idea has legs. So we put together the pitch deck and we put it in front of investors and the investors love the idea. So we said, all right, well, there's some, definitely some interest here. Now, Rob, he didn't want to distract, uh, 
cabbage folks with this new uh, entity. So he wanted to stand this up separately. So I was really excited about the idea. So uh, Rob and Catherine are, you know, they're running the ship at Cabbage and doing a fantastic job. So I said, well, you know, I'll come over and do uh, drum full time and help get that off the ground. And we'll hire an amazing team and, and, you know, get this off the ground. So it's been a fun ride, but, you know, uh, Catherine and Rob are still heavily involved in both drum and cabbage, but they are definitely separate entities. So you personally have gone from early employee at, at what at that time was a startup mm-hmm. to really, you know, kind of entrepreneur doing your own thing. Um, now at the end of the day, I think you, you mentioned you're what employee, un, under employee 10 at cabbage. Yeah, I think it was around 10, okay. 10, yeah. So, look, I mean, for, for all intents and purposes, you know, uh, when, you, when you're that early at a company, it really is very much still in the startup phase. Um, but, you know, you're in a different phase right now where you're really kind of helping to run the show at Drum. And I'm curious what you've taken from both experiences as you kind of go on this new journey. Oh, yeah. So uh, one of the fun parts of, about uh, Cabbage early on was, you know, we had a – essentially a beta. We had a, a really, you know, it was a product that was out. We had a handful of customers on, but um, we still needed to prove out the concept. So that journey of putting together the product, hiring the right team, making sure you you build the right organization around the idea, and then get the customer feedback and the adoption that you want. So we're in this phase right now where our main goal is to make sure we're building a product that customers love. So we're getting a lot of learnings in these early stages and um, refining the product as we go, the nomenclature, the, the feature set. Um, but we're also making sure that we're building the right org so that we can um, put out and grow this business in the right way. So uh, let's let's talk about a use case um, so that people can really understand how this works. Mm-hmm. So when when I hear your description of the company, I'm picturing, let's say, me. Okay, I go to my favorite restaurant. And typically the way that I get the word out about this restaurant is that I tell my friends, just this place is fantastic. You got to go. Mm-hmm. Okay. In your world, I can use the drum technology to push out why I love this restaurant so much to a whole bunch of people who are relative well, and, and realistic strangers to me and actually get paid for it. Is this what we're talking about here? To a certain extent, yes. Okay. So the way it works is uh, we wanted to make the act of sharing and saving as simple as it is today. Right now, I go on the web, I find something, and I text it. The problem with that is that's lost in the ether, and you also have no way of seeing what uh, a history of what you've saved and what your favorites are, leaving notes on those things, and also going back to that later. And then there's no way to curate that. If I have favorite restaurants, the way I would do it today is I'd open up a Google Doc and I would save out these links and then I might forward that link to somebody, but I've got to go find that doc. And it's just kind of a messy um, um, experience. So what we wanted to do is make it easy for people to go and let's just, for your example, I've got uh, my 10 favorite restaurants in Atlanta or just one. I could go and save those. And instead of just saving a link, it actually saves really rich data about that connection. And I can also leave my notes on that connection. Now, if I send it to somebody else and they go consume that, I can actually know that they consumed it and they can send me a thank you or we can have that conversation about it. And if a business attached rewards to consuming and um, referring that business, then I also can earn money. Or points or the reports. Okay, so again, my favorite restaurant C is on the drum platform and has seen that, oh man, Joey has really pushed this out to whether it's his Twitter network or his Instagram network. Um, and people have actually come and acted on his recommendation. We're going to give him a little piece of the pie um, for doing that. Yeah, we're leaving the uh, the reward piece up to the business. Yeah. So they can define if they want to give, you know, X award or Y award. So the the commission or the award is completely up to them. Got it. So at a certain point, uh, okay, the, the way that I think most – the biggest platform for recommendation share right now <clears throat> in terms of some of these small businesses is a platform like Yelp where you go mm-hmm. and you know you leave reviews, right? And you can list your 10 favorite restaurants and give reviews. In, in this world, those sort of recommendations will be pushed to the drum platform, which, which could be shared with your – immediate network and their network, and you could potentially get rewarded for it, assuming the business nail salon restaurant decides to do so. Yeah, we also find that like uh, Yelp, for example, is somewhat of an impersonal um, platform where you would see a, a lot of different stranger recommendations, but we find that it's the person-to-person, the friend, your colleague, your friend, your family member, who you want to stay connected with, that you're going to trust their recommendations the most, 
and that you're going to want to pass these uh, recommendations to and know that they went and, and consumed those. I know. I, I think there's definitely something to that. I can, I mean, personal experience. We go to look at a restaurant. My wife says, well, does it have at least four stars on Yelp? Yeah. I say, look, even if it, okay, maybe one, uh, if, if it's average one star, I will trust those people. Okay. But you know, I, I don't know these people. I don't know their taste. Right. You know, I think that dish looks good. Maybe we think differently. So, and we're looking to branch out beyond, uh, I think restaurants are na- what naturally people gravitate to. Uh, right. Um, but when we think about it, we think of, um, state parks. We think of products. I have favorite pair of shoes. I've got the businesses that I attend, my salon, my restaurants. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm going to uh, overseas for a trip, hey, does anybody have any recommendations for places to eat in Paris? So uh, being able to create a nice platform, we can pass that back and forth and get rewarded for the, the behavior that's happening within the network and bring businesses in to be part of the conversation and part of engagement so they can offer those rewards for passing this information back and forth. So is this something that in addition to all those use cases that you just mentioned, you know, let's say that we've got a, you know, small two-man accounting shop mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, uh, you know, family, family law attorney who's just kind of gone out on their own, you know, doesn't really think of having a marketing budget. This could be their marketing platform. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that their existing customer base is one of the most powerful um, uh, platforms for getting the word out. But a lot of times these businesses don't have a platform to get that out. They might say, hey, I'd really appreciate if you referred somebody to us, but there's no fun, engaging way to do that. So if those businesses come onto the drum platform, claim their profile and say, hey, customers, if you love us, we're on drum. Go and save it and recommend it to your friends. Mm -hmm. And we're offering this reward for that behavior. Okay. So a way to empower both small businesses that want a larger platform, maybe don't necessarily have the sophistication or the budget for it, as well as consumers who want to get the word out um, to their network about you know their favorite businesses, products, whatever. Yeah, and what's great about this is it isn't um, just small businesses. So enterprise businesses as well can go on there um, and say, hey, you know, if if you love our existing large product, send people to us, and it can be a lead gen platform. So, all right. Well, so you 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 uh, anticipated my next uh, question here. So so sneaky. We, well, I know, right? We're just <laughs> we're we're reviving like that. Um. So there is the small business, right? You know, um. And I'm assuming I want to I want to talk about you know the money that you recently raised and what you're mm-hmm. doing and who you're hiring. I'd imagine there's a portion of your sales and marketing team that's out there trying to sign up. You know. Businesses as well as the drummers, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious about what the enterprise level sale is here. You know, is there also the opportunity to go to a Procter and Gamble, a craft, um, and get them involved in this? Are these kind of two, two distinct types of sales, but both that could fit, fit very well within the platform? Yeah. So, uh, our MVP of drum is, uh, low touch sales. So for example, if you wanted to, uh, drive somebody to sign up for Uverse. Then Uverse could come on there and put on a um, an offer, or they can put on um, you know a reward for sending out a referral to Uverse. And if somebody went to that landing page and signed up, they could reward that behavior. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, Cabbage, for example, they could put on there that we're rewarding people for recommending us and offer their their reward as well. Okay, gotcha. Um, so, okay, you, you mentioned the product as it is right now. We're talking about, um, sort of the low touch sale. Mm-hmm. Um, you have launched in Atlanta and you've launched in one other city, I believe. We launched in Atlanta, New York, but okay. one of the, the really, um, exciting learnings we got from our MVP was we were focusing on hyper local. We were trying to stand up all the businesses and getting, drummers to go out there and sign up these local businesses. However, we realized really quickly that people want to refer everything. They don't want to refer just the businesses on the platform because if you go on the platform and there's only a handful of businesses, people aren't going to engage with it. So what we're doing is we're broadening it to to make it available for people to recommend anything. And then as businesses see the value, they can sign up on the platform. Okay. But this is a, as you have it right now, it really is a very local, very regional type of sale. And so I'm curious about how you build this network across the country. 
is this. We've got, you know, people who are experts in their markets, you know, in Phoenix and, uh, you know, Sacramento. How, what's the thought process behind when you take this just outside of Atlanta? Well, what we're trying to do is, uh, refocus our energies and making it, uh, more of an, uh, not hyperlocal. Okay. So there's going to be a lot of online businesses. They're going to, we're going to allow the, uh, the consumers of the platform to start recommending and saving everything that they're interested in their own communities. So they don't have to wait for those businesses to be on the platform. So where before we were having to really stand up Atlanta or really stand up New York, we're going to open it up across the United States and let the consumers start to build up that recommendation library and start passing those around and then let the businesses come on organically. Okay. So this could be something where, you know, as you, you build the effort to have people sign up across the states, it's, you know, so-and-so in Des Moines loves Harry's razors, right? You know, right. that's not necessarily local. It's, you know, anyone can order that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, you're, you're basically building a sales channel, a built-in sales channel for, um, you know, well, really any business, it sounds like. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, people get scared of the world word sales sometimes, but people are doing it every day. People are recommending the things that they care about. And there's a, there's a, connection that's made with recommending you're creating a bond between yourself and the person you're recommending to so but in essence that is sales but it's trusted sales so what we're doing is we're embracing that um that mechanics and that um that process and allowing people to do it in a much more enjoyable rewarding way so it's interesting that you bring up the stigma behind the word sales and mm -hmm. this is this is actually something i'm excited to talk to sean about um when when we get to our segment um and, and I don't know if you mean it in the same way, but I mean, I have been in sales and everything I've done my whole life. And just because, you know, you were in, you know, product and technology work at Cabbage doesn't mean you were in sales. We're all in sales to some degree, whether Correct. we have sales in our title or not. But I find that, and I guess I thought it would have dissipated at this point, but there is still such a stigma behind, especially if you're, you know, an enterprise salesperson. But, uh, you know, let's say that your job title doesn't have that in there. Um, and you are put in some sort of capacity where you are quote unquote selling or marketing. Uh, it is shocked how, I don't know, afraid what people are of it or think that it's sleazy or just get uncomfortable with it. I, I don't know if this is born out of research that you did or focus groups that you did that there is some sort of issue with that word or action, but I'm curious to hear more about that. Yeah. So what we found is people naturally gravitated toward the action of recommending things because they didn't see recommending things at sales, even though you're saying, hey, I believe in this thing you should do. Mm -hmm. um, but when we had the action of, hey, you could be a salesperson and sign up this business, that that felt more like they were putting their salesperson hat on. And that was something that was a little bit more difficult for the everyday person to go out and do. So um, one of the things that we learned was, hey, let's really – um, embrace this act of recommending and really make that super powerful, super easy and rewarding. And we also learned that when people are recommending things, they also don't want to just be compensated. They feel selfish. They feel like, oh, if I'm the only person getting compensated, then this feels icky. It feels like sales. But we found that people want to actually um, have both parties compensated. They want to know that the consumer as well as the recommender is getting compensated. They want to know that, hey, it's not just about money. It's about thank you. It's about appreciation. It's about being engaged to know that, hey, this person enjoyed that recommendation and they went there and consumed it. So kind of closing that loop and making that experience a lot more rich. Interesting. And, and look, that, that's great because it speaks to people who are interested in being part of the larger community that you're building. Um, we could have an entire, you know, <laughs> several hour long conversation about this, this topic alone. Um, I want to pivot to the round of funding that you recently closed. Mm -hmm. So you closed $11 million. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, and I always ask, of course, when that happens, what are you doing with the money? How are you building out your team? What are the next 12 to 18 months look like? Yeah. So, um, the good thing is uh, the, what we're focusing on is is the three P's, which is product, personnel, and then promotion. So number one is we are trying to build the best product out there. We're taking a lot of learnings from our MVP and evolving the product to make sure that we're delivering exactly what the customers want. So we're investing uh, investing in that. 
um, and also personnel. So we've been making sure that we hire uh, really strong people in the, in the design, the product development, engineering, um, customer service to make sure that we can um, have a world-class product out in the market. And then finally, once we feel that we've got that perfect fit, then we go into the promotion piece. So we've got a, a fantastic head of revenue and head of marketing that are uh, they've got our game plan for uh, getting the word out. Okay, that's all very exciting. Um, it's maybe a little bit early, but I would assume you have some some projections or assumptions on this front, whether you want to share them. That's another um, <laughs> question. But ha- have you put any metrics behind how much um, you think that Drum could increase a, um, you know, business's traffic? And maybe yeah. it depends on what sector they're in, but, you know, rough stats. Right. Um, and I, I think, you know, that's a fair question. One of the things that we're learning right now is it's probably a little too early to tell, you know, depending on the different sectors, depending on the um, the rewards that they provide and the behavior that's happening. Um, and once we get to a, a growth level of, you know, people on the platform. So it's probably a little too early to tell. I thought you might say that, but it was worth <laughs> asking. Um, so people interact on your community and it seems like there's a two pieces of the motivation. One, of course, is to, uh, you know, publish what they already do in their personal life and put it out there. Okay. Um, you know, the, the music that we love, the food that we love, we want to tell people about it. We want to share it with people. Okay. That's one piece of it. And another piece of it is there's potential compensation for that. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to me that the design of drum is not, let, let's take Uber for example. Uber, you know, contends that you can, make a full-time job out of being an uber driver now whether you make a good living doing that that's another question but they contend you could do this all the time if you wanted to it sounds to me like you're not contending that someone necessarily they're the only way they make income is from being a drummer it's you're going to potentially get paid for something that you're already doing anyway yeah and i think that's another one that's a little early but the way that we're designing it is that if the businesses um, put out incentives at a certain level that um, starts driving the behavior, then it is entirely possible that somebody could make significant dollars promoting the businesses that they already know, believe in, and care about. So um, we'll just have to see how that plays out. Interesting. I mean, that, of course, may, is a whole new way to market and get people on board. I recognize we're talking several months into this, so mm-hmm. you know, I'm – I am making somewhat, you know, educated assumptions. Um, but of course it's, that's part of what this journey is going to tell you, you right. know, what, what's real, what's not. And of course you're going to find out things that you didn't know you were going to find out. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, what's, I always ask about the role that Atlanta has played in the growth of drum. Well, I've been in Atlanta since 1984, um, yeah. have no intention of leaving. I love this town. Um, it's been amazing. We are, Within feet of Georgia Tech, which we've had some amazing interns coming out of there. Uh, we have the best engineering coming out of there. Um, hopefully, uh, I, I went to UGA, so hopefully none of them are listening right now that I'm giving so many props to Georgia Tech. But uh, no, Atlanta's got a fantastic tech scene. Um, it's it's growing huge. Uh, some great tech companies. We've got Cabbage. We've got uh, MailChimp. We've got SalesLoft. We've got amazing companies out there uh, that um, – you know, so I'm loving to. I'm loving watching how this the city is growing. It does seem like we're having a moment, doesn't it? Oh yeah, it's it's a great moment to be in to uh to watch the growth here and and the talent that's coming in because, um, historic. You know, you know, maybe 20 years ago it was very difficult to hire in some of these areas, but I think a lot of the different places around the the U.S. San Francisco. Um, Austin, some other uh, New York, they're they're realizing what a gem Atlanta is and moving here uh, for the cost of living and uh, the the climate and the awesome people and the jobs. Yeah, I do feel like even I don't know, maybe call it seven years ago, there was a little bit of uh, you live in Atlanta, really? And uh, <laughs> now it's like, oh yeah, I've heard really cool things about Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so Troy, if someone listening to this wants to learn more about Drum, how can they do so? Yeah, that. I, I give mad props to uh, Rob for picking the name. Yeah, it's drum, D-R-U-M dot I-O. So uh, I love how short that is. It also makes my email address super simple, which is great. <laughs> that definitely helps. Uh, is, I'm assuming there's an app that can be downloaded as well. Uh, there is yeah. an app. So that okay. it can be found uh, in the App Store um, under uh, – we have um, drum and then earn. If you type in drum and earn, you can find it there, and it's also linked on the homepage. Beautiful. Okay. 
Troy, thanks for coming by. Thanks for having me. All right, Kurt. I saw you, uh, I saw you nodding a little bit when we talked about the Atlanta piece, so we're going to get into that as well. Okay, so Kurt, you, you serve a couple of roles. Um, we are primarily going to talk about your role leading the Georgia Research Alliance. Um, you came to that role through your work as CEO of MedShape. And so let's just give an overview of what MedShape does, what the GRA does, and then we can get deep into your journey with the GRA. Of course, and thank you for having me. Um, the one, one point I want to make, um, just uh, at the outset, I'm not the president of the Georgia Research Alliance. I run the Venture Fund, which is affiliated with it. Um, so, um, the Georgia Research Alliance is an affiliated organization, but a different one. Uh, so my journey in a word has been very indirect, Joey. Uh, I basically, uh, got started, uh, as an engineer. I wanted to build race cars. I came, uh, to school here at Georgia Tech to do that. The job market was bad when I left school and, um, decided to go to grad school for a while, spent time, uh, getting a PhD. Then went into consulting, didn't like that either, learned a lot, but decided to do something else and then found my way into medical device. And I've been doing that for the last 15 years. And I really like that because it fuels a passion of mine, which is working at the intersection of technology and um, human need. And uh, there's something special about making devices that improve um, human health. I continue to do that to this day, but was recruited two years ago to run the uh, Georgia Research Alliance Venture Fund. I've been doing that. I'm proud to be putting money to work here to build uh, sort of the young community of companies here in the state. So the the indirect path, that's if, – if what I always say is I think the one thing that everyone come, who comes on the show has in common is the Atlanta is the backdrop to what they do. The second thing is that everyone generally has had some sort of indirect path in life, um, and that seems to be the more interesting one. Uh, I, I remember growing up and you would see attorneys or doctors or accountants and that in my world, that's what it looked like. It's like, oh, you go to school for this and then you do this and then you do that for a long time. And, um, I've, I've learned that that's the really boring and not fun way to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's much more common now. You see many, yeah. uh, young companies that have individuals that have technical degrees kicking on a business role. That's very, very common. I think that's probably, true of a world where technology is a much bigger part of what we do. Um, but, you know, I've, I've sort of changed careers at least three times along the way. I'm still fairly young. Uh, I think I'll continue to do that. I just, I'm a restless person and I like to learn new things, but I, I think there are a lot of us out there. Well, I think that really is the skill that young people who are coming up need to have like when when i hear people ask about well, what's what's the thing that kids should learn about you know competing in new economy what i always think is comfort with change ability to pivot and flexibility um because if there is one constant it is change and it is happening at a ra- more rapid pace than ever and so the ability to comfortably move from one thing to another and apply your talents i mean to me that is the key to longevity uh, and it's certainly the key to success in small business. I, I think for the other uh, guests here today, they'll admit that their business very rarely evolves in the way you plan it uh, to evolve, and you're going to make some changes along the way. In fact, sometimes huge ones. And I think for our uh, successful portfolio companies at the fund, those that, that have been able to recognize that a change needs to happen early and often and embrace that and make a difference to the ones that tend to survive and even thrive. So let's talk about the the Georgia Research Alliance for a little bit. I'll bet that most people listening to this did not realize that, one, Georgia has a research organization that it runs, and two, that that actually has a venture fund associated with it. Uh, I would uh, characterize it as probably one of the best-kept secrets here in the state. Um, And it was funded or founded uh, under the administration of Joe Frank Harris in the mid-'80s in the recognition that if we wanted a high-tech economy, uh, we needed to make investments there, and we'd lost the recruitment of a semiconductor manufacturing firm to Austin at the time. So he put together some of the state's best leadership, uh, civic and corporate, and they envisioned the GRA, which continues to operate to this day. And that organization is focused on high-tech em- economic development. Initially, they were focused on recruiting eminent scholars to the state's research universities, people that worked on really cutting-edge stuff mm-hmm. uh, that had an entrepreneurial bent to that. Uh, and then re- realized in recent years, in the last 15 years, that there was a funding gap. And so the GRA first filled the very early stage funding gap with a program called Venture Development. And that's a grant and loan program that goes to young companies to help get them started. 
And then they realized there was a slightly later stage gap, and that's where the venture fund comes in. And it was funded initially in 2009 by the state. The state is our largest investor. Okay. Uh, the state has also given us state income tax credits to attract uh, private investors. Um, and that was a one-time uh, grant by the state back in 2009. And so uh, we have a fund that's $45 million. We've deployed about $25 million of it. We have $20 million of dry powder. We invest only in the state of Georgia. We invest in seed and Series A things, and we are sector agnostic. We tend to be a follower rather than a lead because we are small, uh, but we are really, really interested in young companies here and, and really, really proud to be part of the startup community. So I, I was going to ask you about your funding sources. You clearly you know, anticipated that question. But what's interesting to me is, all right, so you've got the state as your largest funder, and then you've got private individuals, which make up, I'm sure, a not insignificant piece, but not as much as the state does. So does that mean that you're at the Capitol every year advocating for dollars out of a budget to go to the venture fund? A great question. So of the total fund, the state is the biggest investor, but the private dollars are almost two-thirds of the total funds raised. Interesting. Okay. Um, and so we had a one-time um, allocation from the state government in 2009. We, as the venture fund, do not go back and seek state funding every year. The broader Georgia Research Alliance does go to the state capital, look for funding on a regular basis. Okay. So one of the things that most people who come in here say when I ask them about Atlanta, you know, they sing our praises for a number of different reasons. And then, you know, I would say eight out of 10 say, but we shouldn't have to go to the West Coast to raise money. Okay. Now, granted, what you're doing is trying to alleviate some of that, but you know, look, any money's great, but let's be honest, $45 million in the grand scheme of things, not a huge debt. And so what I'm curious about, because I know in our private conversations before, you know, something that you've mentioned is, look, it's it's gotten better. It's still not where it should be. So you only focus on companies in Georgia. Fantastic. Don't have to leave the state to raise money. But what do you do to increase the breadth um, and size of that fund so that it can help tackle this problem that you know every technologist I talk to seems to think we have. And I think this is a good point, and, and it's a it, you know we could we could spend ten hours talking about it, Joey. Right? There is um, uh, a lot of people that believe, myself included, that we need more early stage capital here. Um, and really, you know, the the answer that I'm going to provide is not a very satisfying one. What we need are good, healthy companies here, um, and you sort of get into a chicken and egg conversation, but. When you have exits uh, and they are successful exits and a portion of the investor base is local, those limited partners, LPs, uh, tend to want to invest in that type of asset again. And so, you know, we're, I think we're still early in that stage. The good news is in the last 18 months, $300 million plus funds have been raised here by very uh, capable uh, uh, institutional investors. Uh, and so, that's a whole lot better than it was certainly five years ago and a decade ago, but there's a lot of work to be done. Over the last decade, Venture raised about $300 billion nationally. And if you look at the totality of our raises here in this community, um, and I'm talking Georgia uh, more broadly, you'd be hard-pressed to find over a billion dollars raised here. Uh, and so it's – I'm not talking about by companies. I'm talking about by funds. Sure. Uh, so there's work to be done, Joey, but the right way to do it is to have young companies grow into big companies and come to exits where LPs get returns. They're looking to invest in an asset class like this again. Sure. And, and look, that is uh, – so I, I grew up here. I left. I came back in 2011. And where we were – what is that, nine years ago? Wow. Um, you know – Nine years ago from today, I think, is a marked difference. Five years ago from today, I think, is a marked difference. So my question is, of course, not meant to uh, you know, cast a pall on uh, the good work being done. Um, but uh, so that, that's – and I think you're right. It's like, look, the more, the more money that is returned to you know, founders, LPs, early-stage employees who can then go and plow that back into the local economy, um, you know, it, it becomes a compounding story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so how, how much of your time would you say is spent with the fund these days and how much would you say is spent with MedShape? Uh, I'd probably spend a hundred percent with both of them. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, my kids have just started driving in the last year and, um, that means they see a whole lot less of me and probably want to see a whole lot less of me. They're 17. And so I found a gap in my time, Joey, and, and, yeah. uh, I really enjoy working. So I put in very long hours. 
Um, it's, you know, sometimes the need on one side or the other is more urgent, um, you know, and, and, um, uh, but I, I tend to probably commit a hundred percent of my time to both of them. Sure. I, I get that. That's a, I think a de- decent entrepreneur answer. Um, and you are industry agnostic. We are. Um, but you know, if you go on the GR Waves website and you look at the companies that have been funded generally, and again, there's some outliers, but a lot of them have a focus on, uh, you know, medical healthcare wellness. Um, now we certainly have a really, robust ecosystem of those t- of that type of talent here in Atlanta and Georgia. Mm-hmm. So I-, I guess you tell me, is it that there's a penchant for those types of companies or we just have a lot of that talent and we found some really great companies there? Um, I, I think it's um, more of just the good deals that have come in the door. Yeah. So if you look at our portfolio rough numbers, we're a third uh, kind of healthcare uh, that would include drugs and device. Um, and then a third uh, software, much of that's sort of fintech-ish stuff, which wouldn't surprise anyone here, I think. And uh, the other third is hardware um, uh, stuff. And, and so uh, – but that's largely because most of the deals we see come through our venture development program. That's the grant and loan program I mentioned earlier. Those are deals that we've seen for a couple of years, and they tend to always come off the state's research universities. Mm-hmm. And so there'd be no surprise that with the University of Georgia, Georgia Tech, Georgia State, Emory, uh, and our other affiliate institutions, that a lot of that is in those three areas. Okay. Um, and um, uh, But uh, we are, as you said, sector agnostic. We'll look at any deal. And check size, it sounds like you're somewhere in, what, the one to three range? Uh, all in, over yeah. two rounds of investment. Our average first check is half a million. Okay. We've done up to a million and a half in first investments. We tend to reserve two to three to one on the back end. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, at, at our size, it's hard to lead investments, both in terms of the check we write. But we also run a low fee structure, which means I don't have a team of analysts to do due diligence. So often uh, we like to follow, but we have led about a third of our rounds we have led. Okay. And uh, I mean, obviously, besides sound business model, sound, you know, uh, team, uh, any criteria on EBITDA? Revenue, anything like that? Uh, no, we'll do stuff that's pre-revenue. We'll yeah. do uh, stuff that's post-revenue. Um, and uh, generally, we'd want whatever venture capitalists will tell you that they want or deals that have a large addressable market, um, deals where uh, a company is solving a significant and sort of hair on fire unmet need. Uh, we don't uh, – we will back first-time entrepreneurs. We will. Uh, but we'll want them to be surrounded by mentorship that's very sound on the business side and particularly on the technical side. Okay. How are you personally keeping yourself up to date on the vast number of organizations that are popping up in the field that you might be interested in? Uh, not well, Joey. There's, you know, the, <laughs> the, the world's growing, uh, the knowledge base is growing faster than one person can keep, uh, on, uh, ahead of, but, the good news is the history of the GRA has had us recruit uh, nearly 100 eminent scholars to great research universities that are a phone call away or a drive away. Um, and that means we have a mentor network that's almost 300 people. So then we see a deal, you know, in hepatitis, for example, we know experts in hepatitis well, some of whom we recruited the state that can allow for diligence. Um, and I think it's also been helpful. We've invested in 25 um, companies along the way. That's meant we have a network of co-investors that can provide due diligence or also lead in some cases. But the other resource that's particularly helpful commercially, if you go look at the board of trustees of the broader GRA, it is a who's who of Fortune 500 CEOs here in the state. And they can get us access, honestly, to anyone in one to two phone calls. And I mean globally. Yeah. And that network, Joey, allows us to be, I think, a lot more able to do diverse deals than a venture fund with you know one GP and two MDs that know a space well. Sure. If you had a – well, let's take the crystal ball aside. If you had a whatever goal sheet, vision map, whatever you want to call it, right, and you said here, here's what we're going to be 
in 2025? What is your goal? Uh, for the fund? So we uh, we have an investment period that runs through uh, 2025 for the current fund. Okay. Uh, but it would be my goal as managing director to ensure we raise a larger fund. Um, and that, that needs to happen to continue the good work we're doing. That funding gap I don't think will disappear in the next four to five years. And so I think it's important that we continue to do that. Uh, I think there also can and should be better coordination among the local venture funds. There are not many of us out there. We could fit in your studio here, Joey. Uh, you know, it's a pretty small studio for those of you listening. Um, and uh, we, I think, could coordinate deals better. Um, you know, and, and try to keep more of the capital local. Do you ever look to LPs outside of Georgia? Uh, we, I have not been on a fundraising round, just given uh, my um, uh, limited experience with the fund. I've been there two years. Um, it would be hard to do, I think. Really? Um, and I say that because much of it feels, um, you know, sort of uh, like good state citizenship. I think that's a big part of the pitch. It would not stop me from doing it, but it might present some challenges. Really. But I guess I and, and look, maybe this is the naivete of someone who's not involved in it. But I would think. All right, you've got a ton of tertiary markets, 200 miles of Atlanta, mm-hmm. okay, whatever, Montgomery, Huntsville, Birmingham, Tampa, Greenville, okay? You have wealthy people in all these cities, okay? Yep. And so you say to yourself, well, you want to put some money to work. Probably can't get that sort of return on any companies that are popping up in my own hometown. What if I look to the capital of the Southeast? Am, uh, I, am I not thinking about this clearly? Uh, no, no, I think you are. I, I would, you know, as uh, is probably the case with most, you know, selling or fundraising activities, you'll go where the money is, you know, easiest to come by. Um, you know, I think we do have a compelling story mm-hmm. for LPs here. So I wouldn't want to uh, say, uh, have anyone read into my comments? That's the case. But, um, I, you know, I think I would go here locally, um, more directly, but there have been discussions with, uh, that the fund has had, our fund has had with several other funds that are looking to conceivably put together a much larger fund that would cover the Southeast. And that would not likely be under the GRA umbrella, but there are a lot of young companies emerging. You mentioned Greenville. I looked mm-hmm. at one yesterday, right? I'm going to look at another one next week. Um, and those companies may relocate here. That's why we're taking a look at them. Sure. But there are a lot of deals that um, are even more star for capital than ones that are here in Georgia that could see the benefit of a larger uh, multi-state fund. Got it. Okay. All right. Well, this this has been fascinating um, for, for me and I think most of you out there who probably did know that we have this amazing resource here in state. So anyone um, – uh, L, potential LP, com- early stage company out there who wants to learn more, how do they do it? Uh, so you can go to our website, which is graventurefund.org. Uh, you can find all the links you need there. You can also go to the gra.org uh, website to see the broader umbrella organization. And um, we'll look at any deal once, as I, I mentioned earlier, um, and uh, would love to, to see some other deals come in the door. The deal flow has been great here. The deal Uh, Pipeline is extraordinary here, but um, we'd still like to see more of them. Great. Thanks a lot, Kurt. Thank you, Joey. Sean, you've been a patient man. Hey, it's been uh, fantastic listening to these guys talk. These guys are uh, both amazing. Well, you know, I try and surround everyone with uh, the best in Atlanta. Makes it a little bit more interesting to sit back for, you know, 40 minutes while you wait your turn. So what we're, we're of course going to get into what VidReach does, but you know one of the topics that I brought up with Troy that you know you and I discussed a little bit when we first met because you have dedicated most of your professional career to helping people sell better via technology. Why are people so afraid of sales? What what is it about the activity or the word? I just don't understand it. You know, I you know, as as I have evolved over the years, um, sales is not a dirty word, but I think sometimes people get the the notion in their in their mind that it's about that used car you know dealer uh, type of mentality and and you know uh, not as uh, sophisticated. And you know, nowadays, you know, sales has evolved. I mean, it used to be before technology took over. Um, you know, I'd probably say in the mid '90s to early 2000s when everything started kind of really taking off. Um, I was with AT&T, so it was obviously a big tech, you know, cloud company back then. Um, but I, I saw it evolve with, uh, you know, the internet and access, but it was a lot more about going out to customers and educating them, um, you know, consultative sales because they didn't really know. And so as you've seen it evolve over time, now with the internet and everything else, people, um, you know, they have the ability to research what they're going to do before they're going to buy 
or before they're going to do something. They've checked out three or four different competitors. So sales is a little bit different now. It's much more consultative. It's much more, you know, answering questions, being responsive than it was back then when it was more, you could kind of tell people what you wanted to. They didn't have really the means to know what it was that uh, they were validating until they actually did it. Sure, sure. I, I guess that makes sense. And look, this is, again, coming from someone who who's deep in it. And so um, I have maybe shed any sort of preconceived notions that I have. I recognize that if you don't do it every day, you know, it, 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 it might seem a little bit uncomfortable before you get into it. Um, okay. Well, so with, with that burning question out of the way, uh, tell everyone out there uh, about what VidReach and what you guys do. So, you know, uh, VidReach is simple. I mean, it's, it's, you know, using the power of video to reach people. So um, hence the word VidReach. Um, but, you know, marketing automation came on, you know, about, you know, eight, nine, 10 years ago, really came on strong. And, you know, it, it really kind of changed the way that people were communicating because now you could cast a net deep and wide globally, um, you know, at a click of a button. The, the challenge with that, though, is that as that continued to evolve, um, and, and you guys probably know it yourselves. I mean, now, you know, eight, nine, 10 years later, um, it's still a, a necessary, you know, uh, way to communicate and try to get people interested. But most people now they get flooded with it. They delete them and, and they're these 500 word long emails. And, and, you know, you, you kind of like, it's, it's a numbers game and Ashley's uh, sitting over there and, and we laugh because we know we're never going to get rid of it. And companies have evolved like HubSpot and, you know, Pardot that, uh, that was local here in Atlanta with, with Cummings company. And then they sold it to exact target and the exact target, you know, got sold to Salesforce like for $2 billion later. It's a big business and I'm not knocking it, but what happened was from a sales standpoint and from a relationship standpoint, it started getting to the point where a one or two or 3% open rate sending out to 300,000 people was considered acceptable. We wanted to try to bring back some of the personalization, um, to that type of auto, automated, uh, outreach. And so we added the power of video to personalize those messages in 30 second short bite sized learning drips, mm-hmm. um, to get your message across that seemed more real and personable than these long 500 word emails that everyone was deleting. So that's kind of where it started from. Does that make sense? Okay. So this is the, uh, the technology is the ability to embed video into an email in order to, you know, hopefully increase your open rate. It, it, it absolutely does. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't hopefully that's the, the, from the, the science part of it, which we figured out over the last three years, it's seven to nine times more likely someone will click on a video. And sometimes people are like, oh, well, I'm afraid that I'm going to get like, you know, a virus or something. So I don't want to click on it, but it's the way that you do it. AKA you mentioned, uh, uh, sales loft and, um, MailChimp. It's mm-hmm. kind of like add those two things together and then add the power of video. And then right. that's kind of what we do. That's great. Yeah. Um, I'm always curious about the evolution of companies and how they start where they go uh you know often there are kind of unintended consequences learned along the way that then morph into a different type of product or even a new product um you it seems as if you pivoted maybe a couple of years ago you used to be known as higher nami correct correct yeah okay so uh, again we're we're going to focus on your current iteration but i am curious as to what led to normally a name change indicates um you know, some new learning about how the technology is being used or some new target audience. Can you detail what led to that? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, originally the, uh, as you pointed out, I was with AT&T and EMC and Nortel and a company called, uh, Intercall that, uh, Cam Lanier, who's my partner in this, uh, uh, venture, uh, started Intercall and that I was with them for about 10 years. So, uh, very high sales background and sales leadership and, you know, offices across the country and, you know, all that kind of good stuff. But it, a lot of it always came down to people, process, culture, and systems. And one of the things that was driving me crazy and, and hence the name Hire Nami, my original thought was, gosh, wouldn't it be cool if you could video screen people? Cause I had a local company in Atlanta send me a girl that graduated from Georgia. I've got a son at UGA right now, by the way, but, um, and, uh, it was a link that said, here's a recent college grad. 30 second print and I clicked the, and watched the video of her and I said, God, that's really cool. And I clicked on it because we were actually looking to hire someone and said, sorry, she's not available. But if you want us to hire people like that, you know, give us a call. So it was a total bait and switch. But I said, gosh, wouldn't that be cool if you could automate that and really do that? It would save people tons of time on screening candidates. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're growing like with drum and, um, it would just, you know, for me, it was a real life thing that would solve a problem that I had forever. Cause you know, you get that interview and they come in, you know, in the first five minutes that they might not be the best fit culturally, whatever it might be. Right. And, um, 
long story short, that's where the name Higher Nami came in. But as I was building it, because I'd never built something from scratch before, I started thinking, wow, this video platform that we're building for the video screening could be used for multiple use cases that I would use, i.e. outreach, you know, business development, mm -hmm. could be used for coaching and training development, geographically dispersed people. So it started like that, but then the VidReach part took off. Sure. And that's why we kind of decided, all right, the VidReach thing, it's, it, it's not that the coaching or the video screening was, wasn't good. It's just this part of the platform was so easy for people to understand and kind of use, and they were seeing the results and the opens and clicks and all that. So that's kind of how we evolved it to. Does that imply that there are plans to um, resuscitate some of those potential use cases and products in the future? Or at this point, it's, you know, like we're a small business. We have to make good use of our time. We are a hundred percent gung ho about, you know, email and video. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what happens is um, we, we kind of were we're kind of seeing which one was the clear winner, mm -hmm. and I, ironically, in this instance, which is very rare, they all were kind of you know relevant depending on who you were talking to. But focusing in on on basically the sales cycle is much you know shorter with you know video email because the impact so much uh, quicker. People understand it uh, much quicker, and uh, the types of people that we're selling to. Um, typically have, you know, what we call bant in sales, but uh, budget authority need and, and timing. And they, they don't, you know, the, the sales leaders, they're, they're kind of, they already have the budget. If they need something that's going to help them sell more, then they're going to, they're going to do it. So it's a little bit easier sales cycle than the HR centric, you know, uh, video screening side or the higher NAMI side, which, which is a lot, much longer sales cycle, which is great, but just, you know, the, this is a little bit more transactional in nature. I, I very, I have found that, um, it could go one of both ways, but generally I think that selling to people in sales and marketing is much easier than other parts of the organization like HR or IT because you have a very they're they're doing the same thing, right? They they're 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 selling and marketing just like you are. And so I find that maybe there's a little bit more openness um and understanding of a message, time to make for salespeople. I, I just, I feel like there can sometimes be a little bit more kinship there that makes a sale, assuming there's a fit a little bit more fluid. No, there, there is. And you know, uh, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I, I don't know that it's easier or harder. Sometimes, you know, people are people, right? And so, but I will say that uh, you're probably right in the idea that, uh, you know, salespeople typically, um, if they're selling and they're doing well and they're at their number or above, they can kind of, you know, get things approved much quicker where, where you're in, you know, uh, maybe in, in another, uh, operational centric, uh, uh, you know, functional role at a, at a, you know, enterprise, you know, there's, there's, you know, like a, there's process and sometimes yeah. salespeople uh, figure out ways to get around that if they need something that's going to help them get an ROI. Uh, sure. I, yes, there, 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 there can be a little bit more, um, maybe an ask, uh, Ask for forgiveness rather than permission that could potentially help. I also feel like I don't think I'm the only one who feels this way. I, I believe in sales karma. Um, and I think that, you know, the more good energy that you put, I mean, you know, the, the more good energy you put out there as a sales and marketing person and the more that you're understanding of those others, it, it kind of comes back in your favor. I find myself sometimes if I'm getting a call from someone, I know that I'm not going to buy anything, but if I think their message could have been a little bit better, I would say, you know, like you could have done this next time. And like, you know, that, that might've been a conversation. Um, and I feel like there's other people who believe in that as well out there. Maybe not enough to build a company off of, but, but certainly something. Well, listen, uh, you know, as, as my partner, Cam and, and people in Atlanta, you know, know Cam, he's a legend. He just got recognized for that. He started several companies like Mindspring that became Earthlink and had multiple billion dollar exits, uh, uh, VoiceStream that became T-Mobile, uh, Intercall, the company I was at, but he says something all the time. Uh, two two things that stand out to me. He's he's taught me more in the last few years than I learned in my entire career. But one of the things is the need to love, and the need to be loved, and if you treat people like that, and and that's kind of how you are, uh, things have a tendency to work out. And, I, and we actually try to use that same philosophy in in our selling style. You know, just be honest and upfront. You know, his reputation is is one that uh, has built on being a good person to everybody. And I think what starts with that. So whether they're in sales or marketing or operations, you know, um, going out and, and being really straightforward and you know, I hate to use the word honest because, because, uh, you know, but it, it really does come down to that. Just being straightforward and, and, and telling people exactly what it is that you're going to do. That's going to be better, faster and, and more impactful than, you know, what they're doing right now is helpful. I think those are all very good lessons. Uh, what that, those should be the price of entry 
right? right. Like that, that should just be the baseline. Um, unfortunately it isn't. So those who actually have it are able to differentiate themselves a little bit more. So it sounds like your customer, would it be correct to say this is someone who's got, you know, a decent size inside sales team that, that could use this technology in their outreach? Yeah, it's interesting. And, and you know, I'm, I'm being careful on this because I see Ashley over there and I know that she'll have a heart attack if I start mentioning names of cus- companies that do business with us. But there's there's uh, a few Fortune 500 companies here in Atlanta, ironically, that actually use us. And and it's funny because video, the, the one of the big companies is, is a global Fortune 50 company. And uh, their whole uh, premise to starting to use us was, you know, we're going to give it to 10 people and see if they, you know, and they picked the 10 people that where it's totally against doing video. Like, we don't want to do it. You know, I, we have, a, you know, face for radio and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was kind of funny. And the, so they picked the 10 people that didn't want to do the video the most. And ironically, they wound up being one of our largest customers now. And they love it because they saw the results just by adding personalized video to their messages. Now they were starting to communicate personally with people that they'd been doing business with for, you know, 10, 15 years. They never even saw them or even knew them before. Now they've got a personal relationship that's a little bit more, um, in depth, um, you know, from using that type of technology. So it's pretty exciting to see some of the use cases, you know, another large cable company, I'll call it as, how's that? Um, cable fast access. Uh, they started using it and, um, you know, within the first 30 days that this one guy got 10 contracts back and he filmed his own little 30 second video back just to kind of personalize his outreach to the people. So it's, it's been exciting to see some of the great use cases and successes out there. Are you also providing consulting on the type of content that should be in these videos, the messaging that works? Because I imagine, I imagine this is powerful technology, but it's only powerful in the hands of someone who truly knows how to harness it. Yeah. And, and, you know, going back to your other, your, your question. So inside sales, outside sales, it really doesn't matter, um, you know, where you are. If, if you've got a territory or named accounts or, you know, inside sales is traditionally that going to be your business development group that's going to do a lot of dials and cold calls and things like that. But, um, to your, to your point, I, I would say that at the end of the day, it's really important for, you know, um, people to not be afraid of it. And you see like, you know, our kids and you guys, you just talked about your 17 year olds. I see them always constantly doing these selfies all the time. And the, I've seen them evolve. I'm like, what are you doing? It's Snapchat or whatever it might be. But, um, I think it doesn't matter if you're generation Z, which is the new generation now, or your millennials or your, you know, in, in our, you know, uh, group, I think at the end of the day, it's not that complicated. Everyone's using their iPhone. My dad, who's almost 80 is uses iPhone for everything. So it's not as scary as, as I think it once was, but I will say that for us, we offer two different ways to do it. Cause that was a barrier, uh, in front of us in terms of our entry was one. If you're afraid of it, let us do it for you. We have our own professional services that do it for you, for your message and your scope for the first 90 days. So you can see the results. Cause if you don't see the good results in 60 days, it's probably not going to be a good service for you, but we kind of stand behind it. There's no long-term contracts or anything. So we'll do it for you. We'll do the videos, your message and everything and get it out. Or, um, you can obviously buy the software and do it for your salespeople. So it all depends. We've got two different, uh, you know, ways that, uh, that people buy it from us. And so some people that are scared, they'll do the managed service and, and then they see the results and they kind of walk before they run. And then other people just dive right into it. Yeah. I mean, it just, it seems like there are so many applications here again from the fortune 50 company companies that you're talking about all the way down to, you know, early stage startup trying to get their message out, um, you know, in a crowded marketplace. Yeah. And ironically, the ones, um, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, the incubators, uh, in here in Atlanta, um, or smaller companies, they'll, they'll have great ideas and they're awesome, you know, uh, technical, you know, great at, uh, at, uh, you know, creating a really good, you know, value prop, but they don't know how to articulate it. They don't know how to get it out. And they think I'll just hire some salespeople. And unfortunately people don't realize it's not that easy. <laughs> and so I have a lot of respect for salespeople, not just because I've been doing it for so long in, in, in leadership roles, but it's, it's, you know, people always think that and just, you know, a lot of businesses fail because they don't know how to articulate their financial, we call it financial operational and business benefits to a message. And so we help companies and CEOs that have cool companies that have good concepts we help d- d- deliver that for them. We create scripts for them and not just videos, but it's also email as well. So a lot of times people, you know, hear video and they think it's only video, but you got to do email too. You can't do a video every day. So it's kind of, we, we call it a, a sequence or a workflow that allows them to do that. So 
Um, you you have named a number of organizations with which you've been involved, and they range from you know very large Fortune fifty, you know, to middle market, all the way down to startup. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, you're someone who you know, as as we you know talked about with Kurt, is you know totally fine with pivoting and change, and has used that to his advantage. But I'm curious what you've taken from all those experiences into your leadership role at Vidreach. Well, there's not one thing. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things. I mean, one, uh, top, surround- top two, <laughs> top two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd probably say that surrounding yourself with great people, uh, is, is, and I know that's a cliche and I know everyone says it, but, um, Ashley was our first hire and she's, she's sitting over here today. Um, and she's still here three and a half years later and we built a good foundation of, and we, she was employee number one. And so it was culturally, um, people process culture systems was, was kind of important, but really putting people first. So I'd say that. And I think, you know, again, sounds crazy, but, um, I think being humble, you know, and being humble to the point where your, your ego, you know, when I worked for those fortune 500 companies and I thought at one point up until I was, you know, turning 40 that, you know, uh, I was a master of the universe cause I was this great executive that had done so many things at these big companies. And then until you actually start a company from scratch out of your basement, and, and, you know, whiteboarded on, on a thing. It's, it's a whole different ball game. So I have a, a huge respect for entrepreneurs and people that have done well and raised money and, and done whatever they've done. But, you know, the answer to, I guess to sum it up, I'd say, you know, be humble and, and surround yourself with great people. It, it, it can be a bit of a learning experience and generally a positive one to have the universe kind of slap you back down to size sometimes, can't it? Oh yeah. And that happened several times in the first couple of years. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, but you, you know, I, you know, I heard the word pivot and it's funny cause I, it's, you, you pivot. If you pivot too much though, you, you're, you're a jack of all trades and a master of none. So right, right. I think that's where we are now. We're, we're, we're kind of focusing in on, on this part of the platform. It's ironic though. There's other two. We have Fortune 500 companies that use the other two as well. So it's kind of interesting, but, uh, but this is where the, the real growth is for us. So you deal, I mean, you, you guys are almost masters of email. Um, you know, you've made it your business to really understand this, what has become just the way that we communicate. You know, it's, it's odd to think of a world in which we never had it, but are there interesting tidbits about email that you don't think that the general population knows that you have found to be useful and or is there something that you think will change with the way we use email in the next decade? Yeah, two two good questions. Well, first of all, eighty three percent or more people nowadays. I mean, every stat you look at is all video, 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 and so the email is a necessary way to communicate because it blasts the audiences. But anything from subject lines, they talk about A/B testing on which ones are going to work, and then how long it should be, and you know, date, time, and duration in your email, and you know, the, the breakup emails, and I mean, the list goes on, right? So <laughs> if you Googled it, there's a million tips out there, but. At the end of the day, short and sweet is what people want. You know, drip learning, bite-sized things, almost like bite-sized commercials. I, you know, I say drip learning, but yet every time you ask me a question, I feel like I'm talking forever. But, um, you know, I think short, you know, duration type of uh, messages. I think video being involved in it is there. I think being able to interact directly in with, with videos, which is what we're evolving to right now. Um, you know, we've got uh, similar to, you know, what you, uh, uh, mentioned earlier with, um, uh, you know, sales loft. I mean, you know, we've got an email workflow, you know, cadence system, you know, but that to me is, you know, been there and done that, right? Everyone has that. Uh, it's, it's how do you differentiate it and how do you harness that power? Um, not just with video, but other alternatives being making it interactive AI, right? You know, how can you actually truly understand how those consumers like with, with drum, which I think is super cool, by the way. Thank you. Um, congratulations on that. Uh, but I mean, you know, AI, you know, everyone talks about AI, but how is it really? You know, helping the, uh, the, the end user, that consumer or that person that's actually using your, your thing to promote you, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, uh, and then how does that, the, the predictive learning or those predictive analytics, how do those things with interacting, uh, with that video allow you to kind of, you know, reach more people and, and get your message across and get more people to adopt? Cause, you know, churn is the, is the killer in everything. And, and so, um, it's great if, uh, you know, you get your word out there and there's a lot of people that download it, but if they don't use it, who cares? And so I think that, I think you'll see things more evolve around true AI that actually is around the consumer and, and, or, or the, the end user and the enterprise on, on what makes them want to use it more. I, I think those are all good points. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, over, 
I mean, look, ha- ha- having a business is the act of learning more about the world, um, you know, in your specific product on a daily basis. And so I imagine that you could probably come back here in 12 months and tell us something new that, you know, you've discovered based upon all these different use cases. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because the customers themselves that share with us, like, you know, we, you know, they're using their iPhone for everything, right? And the iPhone 11 is literally like its own little, little mini, uh, you know, movie maker. And, and it's funny. We talked about Atlanta and the impact uh, earlier that I heard you talking about. I'm like, the movies and the TV shows and all the things that are being done here and you know, with the tax breaks that, uh, that uh, they're receiving. I mean, it's becoming a little hotbed for that as well. Forget just technology, but even just that in general. But uh, you're seeing people starting to, you know, use technology on their phones to like create little mini commercials and movies and promoting their things and sharing things real time and, and using the power of video. So I, I think that those are some of the things I think that are going to be cool uh, in the future as well. Yeah. Everyone can be their own little producer for a couple hundred bucks now, can't they? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe that opens it up a little bit too wide. Maybe there should be a little bit more quality control, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I suppose there's not that democratization um, as a whole isn't a terrible thing. Well, well, look, I, I think the technology is very cool. I mean, I think for any type of salesperson, marketing, um, it's just a no-brainer. Uh, you know, JLL, if you're listening, this will be pretty cool for the brokers. Um, so it's exciting stuff and, uh, you know, look forward to seeing what you're going to be doing over the next couple of years. Uh, anyone who's listening who wants to learn more, how can they do that? Yeah, they can go to, um, you know, vidreach.com or, or www.vidreach.io, either one, um, uh, and, and kind of check it out. We have a really exciting, um, uh, new website that's actually just, uh, launching in a, in a week or two. So we're really excited and proud about that. That's, that's, uh, something that, uh, I think is going to help make it more intuitive and, and help people interact with us a little bit more. We're also giving a, their own downloadable version that they can download themselves and try it out for 14 days. That's coming out at the end of the month. It's right now it's an enterprise version. So it's, it's there's different levels, but this one's going to be downloadable. So anyone can try it and kick the tires on it and see if it works for them. And they can see their results and, and decide if it's something that they want to continue to use or not. Very cool. Vidreach.io. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for coming. And uh, listeners, thanks for tuning into tech talk. 